Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studios in Atlanta, it's time for On the Money. Presented by Embassy National Bank. Now, here's your host, Joe Moss. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of On the Money, the number one small business podcast on Business Radio X. And thank you all very much for that. Our listeners have been growing weekly. The show is sponsored by Embassy National Bank, and we discuss topics designed to help you, the small business owner, succeed. Um, And why? Because Embassy is proud of how we help small business. I am Joe Moss, your moderator and president at Embassy National Bank. And uh, we welcome you live from the global broadcast studios of Gwinnett Subaru. Um, And uh, it's a great facility and uh, appreciate their sponsorship. Um, Today we are going to discuss public speaking with a return guest, Mr. Bill Lampton. Bill, how are you? Great. Super to be with you again. Um, I should say it's Dr. Bill Lampton. I'm sorry. Excuse me. He has his Ph.D. in communication. And um, we're since the uh, political season is upon us, we have, uh, he reminded us, we have 376 days until the presidential election. How many speeches and debates will that be, Joe? Times four. <laughs> Times more. And that doesn't include the advertisements, both the candidate ads plus the um, slush fund money. Oh, did I say that? The special interest ads, they're going to be hitting us. So um, Great cure for insomnia, huh? Yeah. And um, so anyway, we have that to look forward to. But before we get into this, how, how did you get interested in political speaking? I had a, a very practical introduction to it, Joe. When I was in college, in a small college in Mississippi, Millsaps College in Jackson, Mississippi, the summer before my senior year, there was a gubernatorial race in Mississippi, and they were hiring college students to help with all sorts of activities. I happened to be working then for a gubernatorial candidate named Fielding Wright. And it was interesting to travel around the state. My job at the time, along with someone from another college, my job was to help get out the youth vote. We traveled to a number of cities, we made speeches, we held small group meetings, and so that was my first interest. Also, at the time, while I was in college, as a history major, I, of course, studied the rhetoric of famous political speakers, Franklin Roosevelt, Hitler, Churchill, and many others. The same happened when I was in graduate school as well. So so you have actually studied those speeches and those speakers. Yes. Oh, good. Well, that'll be good. I'm, I'm, now, why are we talking about uh, speeches today? Well, because what we're trying to do, we're going to get into this. Why is it relevant to you, the small business person? And I, I think Bill will agree that anytime you open your mouth as a small business person or as a small, as a person, you are basically delivering a speech. That's right. That's right. And, and as you and I were chatting, even before we went on the air, a speech should be very much like a conversation. And 
when you are speaking in conversation, you're really not doing anything, as you say, particularly unique or different. In, in other words, if you're dressing, addressing one person or a hundred people or a thousand people, the approach, the techniques, the strategies are basically the same. And the intent is the same. All right. Well, we're going to get into that because um, that's a good point. I don't think people understand that completely. So let's let's now that the topic today um, is and I think you said you're writing a book on this, but it's seven reasons why business leaders shouldn't speak like politicians. It could be a book, <laughs> but I, I don't have any plans for a book. But I've done articles on this topic. I've done a few videos on the topic because the political speaking surrounds us. You can't turn on radio or television or pick up a publication without hearing a speech or hearing a critique of a speech or hearing a forecast about an upcoming speech. All right, so let's let's uh, delve into history just a little bit. Um, who are some of the best presidential speakers that we've had over the years? I would start certainly with Franklin Roosevelt for several reasons. One is his approach was so much needed. As we all know, when Roosevelt was elected, the Depression was still going on. We had considerable unrest internationally. There was a lot of uncertainty on many fronts. And Roosevelt had this magnificent, unprecedented way of addressing the nation in mass media, through the mass media, radio at the time, in such a way that it seemed very personal. He was more or less a father figure, and they were called appropriately enough, fireside chats. People could just picture the president sitting by his fireside with his dog, Fala, right there. And when he said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, and he said it many times, this was wonderfully reassuring to people. Roosevelt was quite different from those who preceded him as far as speaking preparation and delivery was concerned because he really was the architect of his own speeches. He had advisors, he had some who would edit, but his was the initial draft and his was the final draft. Now, was he the first that used radio extensively, or was radio around as much as it was, or did he grab that as his go-to medium? He's the pioneer. Okay. Now, of course, <laughs> in current times, uh, one of our administrative officials has said that Roosevelt spoke on television to reassure the people, but that's well, an right. anachronism that, but that didn't I, happen. I guess my point is that um, he, maybe he was the first one that went from a st having to speak off the stump yes, or the back of a railroad car exactly, where you're having to project to hundreds and hundreds of people. Whistle stops, we called them. Right. And now, and, and finally, we were able to just sit down and talk. So, um, and he, he grasped that. Um, I heard even my dad wasn't a big fan of him, but I've heard him say that, um, that he was a very comforting speaker. People like to just hear him. And as the British would say, across the pond, Winston Churchill had the same effect sure. for his, his people. And when Britain was under siege for many, many months, people were in underground shelters. The bombings were going on daily and at night. 
If Churchill had not been there with his reassuring rhetoric and with his statements about we will fight on the land, we will fight on the sea, we will fight on the air, we will never, never surrender. Mm -hmm. If he had not been there to bring that encouragement and hope, it's quite likely that the British spirit would not have rallied as as the people did. All right. And then um, we all know that Ronald Reagan was uh, um, spoke well. The great communicator, right. many have, have labeled him that. He had a very similar style to Roosevelt, very down-to-earth, reassuring. You, you got the impression that was the real Ronald Reagan when he spoke. You did. And it was, it was every bit, and in fact, it was probably more personal than, than Roosevelt and, and Churchill. In fact, Churchill was rather stilted. But Ronald Reagan had, uh, not only his acting background, but uh, of course, he was a radio guy too. He was a radio guy, and many people are not aware that before he got into politics, he was the spokesman for General Electric, and he went around the country doing the what we call the rubber chicken circuit. He spoke to many, many civic groups, but he also spoke at conventions. So. That was his, his uh, outside of acting, that was his first launch into this public spotlight. So he was probably going around the country assuring everyone that we're going to fill up all these rivers and give you a lot of electricity, and it's all going to be good. Reminds me of, of Hewing Long back in the 1930s, governor of Louisiana, who said, there would be a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. Well, he was... Uh Several cars in every garage now. <laughs> um, okay, let's. And then uh, I, I don't know if you ever been asked who's the worst presidential speaker that we've ever had. It, it's a ten-way tie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, certainly, I, I often say that uh, Roger Ailes, who's the head of Fox News, before he was uh, head of Fox News, he was a speech coach. And I often say that he coached the first President Bush to be a, a, an effective speaker. I say it's quite clear he did not coach <laughs> the second President Bush. What's most interesting that on, on that, Joe, is when we get an opportunity to look back at newsreels before the teleprompter came in, Many of the presidents were very, very bumbling. In fact, I have seen Ronald Reagan before teleprompters came in, hmm. and he was not the suave, poised, in-control speaker that we're very familiar with. But um, Eisenhower was, um, was, was extremely bumbling, erratic, mundane, totally non-inspiring, Truman was pretty much. And he was a, a he was a general, so uh, how could he not be inspiring? That's kind of strange. Well, he certainly inspired the D-Day troops. That's one speech he made, just as uh, George W. Bush inspired the nation after 9/11. Right. We, uh, everyone can have a great moment, but over the long haul, uh, when we're talking about uh, Eisenhower and. Truman were not very effective speakers at all. Naturally, uh, when you ask who among the best, and we, we've identified Roosevelt, 
John Kennedy was. He's good. You got to throw William Jefferson Clinton in there, too. Yes. And and Clinton was as articulate as it come. The best story, true story. I How heard, would you rank um, uh, President Obama? In all, in how do you think history is going to look at him as a as a public speaker, as a presidential speech? The simplest giver? answer is that's how he got the office. Yeah, I know, and yes. and he's he's a very can be a very inspiring speaker. He's he's uh, he knows how to tell people what they want to hear. That's mm-hmm. what got him where he is. Right. Okay. Let's get into uh, some of these points because I think. Um, they're they're very good How, and and there's seven reasons why you the business leader shouldn't speak talk like a politician um first you list is politicians constantly change positions on important issues which all of us have noticed <laughs> <laughs> and what uh what's interesting here is that there were times decades ago before television and before network radio when a candidate could say something in one city certainly get on the train and go get somewhere on the else. train and go to another city and say something entirely different then along came the sound bites and then along came our long interviews our 30 minute interviews and now the candidate any day we can have them make a statement any Astute news person can pull up videos, articles, radio interviews, not from years back, but from even a few months back, which totally contradict what was said before. Totally contradict. And um, all right, let's let's get into that, because you you, the business leader, whether you're talking to your customers, your vendors, your bankers, your uh, uh legislators your employees your board whoever you're not allowed to do that no the word consistency is the key for leadership if in your bank joe you announced one policy this month and two months later the policy had changed entirely there would be confusion there'd be resentment there would be disorganization and a vital factor, there would be distrust. That's a good point. Um, now, you're allowed to massage what you say because you're learning every day. Um, how How is that different? You Just, mean as a politician uh, or as a business as person? As a business person. Well, as a business person or a politician, you have the right to change your opinion if circumstances and facts justify that. And that particularly is the case in the business arena. If your customers have changed, if your product has changed, if your service has changed, then possibly you will justifiably be able to change some policies. But you've got to be able to communicate why. That's exactly right. And one of the things you've heard and your customers are very well aware of, that people do business with those they know, like, and trust. Mm -hmm. Trust relies considerably upon the consistency that we just mentioned. If you are making statements that don't jive with each other time after time and you don't have a basis for doing that, 
you become known as wishy-washy. Thinking back to politicians, of course, Al Gore would be a an, an well. Example that's why it's that. important as a business person or just a person is to is to understand what what makes you you. What are you? What I call core values, and embrace those, uh, and don't. If they are indeed your core values, then you won't deviate from them. And now, you know, certain events may require you to say different things, but if you're coming from that position of relying on your core values, that's going to uh, keep you um, trustworthy. As uh, my dad used to say, the problem with telling a lie is you can't remember what you said. And so Mark- I, won't, I won't call it telling a lie, but you've got to be – But the reason uh, it in, in order to not tell a lie, you've got to trust where you're coming from. Yeah, your father reminds me of Mark Twain said, if you're a liar, you better have a good memory. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've run across many people over the years that uh, sometimes they just forget what they say. Um, all right, let's go to the next one. Politicians advise... Choose me because the competition is worse. That's not a good point for a business. I've always been trained the other way. Mm -hmm. Compliment your competition, Mm -hmm. but tell people why you're better. The positive approach is far more convincing. I go back to an experience. When I was an, an administrator in a college, we were interviewing several firms to direct a major fundraising campaign for us. It got down to the final three firms. We had interviewed maybe five or six. We invited the final three to come in. When the final three came in, each one had a few minutes to make their presentation to us. And I can remember so well one, and I'll call him Charlie, because that's close to his name. But Charlie came in and he said, you know, Bill, you need not, you you can't hire these other two guys. They have some hidden fees that they haven't told you about. And not only that, they are not going to send a senior staff member to direct this campaign. They'll send an intern. And Charlie never said what his firm could do for us. He only talked about the down the, the faults of the other firms. We didn't know what he could offer. Certainly, we did not hire him. Well, you know, and if you ever, if you're on a sales, on the receiving end of a sales presentation, and someone starts to do that, you just feel the 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 air leave the room. It gets uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. At least it does for me, because I'm ready to hit the switch so that you know they drop through that that uh, hidden door. But, um, no, I've, I've always been taught that. And if you're talking about things bad with the competition, then you're taking time away from talking about things that are good about what you do. And it gets back to the politician as well. Hey, Mr. Candidate or Miss Candidate, what have you got to offer? Right. Um, and, um, you know, in, in normal just day-to-day speaking how is that relevant well it's always better to say good things about people as opposed to bad things about people so it's kind of the same relevance instead of uh talking badly about somebody either not say anything or just talk about maybe what you find good in that person none of us really like to be around negative people right 
Um, you are listening to On the Money, brought to you by Embassy National Bank, and we're having a conversation with Dr. Bill Lampton about public speaking, but most importantly, um, we're comparing political speak with how you should talk on a day-to-day basis as well as deliver speeches on your own. And um, uh, it's, it's, this is a great conversation. Um, number three, politicians use facts that don't hold up under investigation. So, um, now what's the problem with that, Bill? The problem is we have many sources now that check those facts. Isn't truth relative? <laughs> to politicians, I'm, maybe. I, yeah, I'm, yes. playing, I'm playing with you. I mean, facts are nasty things, right? Or, mm. Isn't that what people say? What is it I saw uh, just in the last day or two? If we lie to the government, it's perjury. If they lie to us, it's politics. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> but the facts, uh, there, there are so many sources now, resources that can check those facts. And uh, those of us who read the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, I don't know how many times a week, but several times a week in there, they will take what a, a candidate has said, a national political candidate, one running for the president of the United States, and they will they will repeat what was said, and then they will show a, sort of a truthometer. How much of that is true? How much of it is totally out of sync with the facts? And one of the one of the big ones that are going around is the you know when they talk about unemployment rate, and um, um, and I, mean, I studied this in in high school and college, but I guess other people just hear that statistic, they don't realize. It's kind of a made-up number, and um, it doesn't measure who is actually in the workplace in terms of who could be in the workplace. It doesn't measure who's out of the workplace. Right. It's, it says That's if right. you've raised your hand and said, I'm tired of looking, mm-hmm. then you will not be in that unemployment number. Because um, you're not seeking. That's correct. Yes. Because you're not seeking. So, I mean, that's one that I've found. The other is the whole concept of um, – uh, deficits um you know it's we're so used to uh in fact i've gotten to a point now where whatever i hear out of washington i do my double i do my fact checking myself thank goodness for the internet was it will rogers who said there are lies damn lies and statistics <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point um well you know you're I'm not saying who I support as a candidate, but I do. I will read. I have read that um, Bernie Sanders, who is running for the Democratic ticket, um, is losing ground because he's not choosing to go, quote, go after Hillary. And what we're talking about is just flies in the face of what they're telling Bernie Sanders to do, because if he doesn't, people may not want to elect him. And it gets back to what we were saying about talking badly about the competition. Sure. So here's Bernie probably trying to practice what you're talking about, and he's he may end up costing him. Who knows? Um, but I would like to think at some point there will be a politician that stands up and says enough and is enough, and um, hopefully sooner rather than later. I haven't found him yet, but um, we'll keep her, looking. We'll keep looking, won't we? Um. Politicians make promises that sound good, 
but cannot be fulfilled. So is that another way of saying uh, under promise over deliver? If you're in the boardroom or if you're putting together your goals or if you're talking to a customer in terms of what kind of service you can provide, be careful what you promise. Yes, and, and historically, as far as politics is concerned, when I was driving over here today, I was remembering George Wallace's, governor of Alabama's 1963 inaugural speech, when he said, I throw down the gauntlet today, segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. Now, I wonder if someone had pulled George Wallace aside and said, oh, come on now, George. With the trend and that, that's going on in the social arena and with the government, do you really believe that? And I think also of the what, what happens 20 years or 30 years later, the books that come out that tell us what was really going on behind the scene. Being a Mississippian, I can remember so well when the University of Mississippi was integrated and Governor Ross Barnett, the entire time in books and newspaper articles that came out later, the entire time he was negotiating with the Kennedys, Robert, Attorney General, and President Jack, he knew it was going to happen. And all he was trying to do was to try to make Ross Barnett look okay in the meantime. And yet, publicly, he was saying how he was fighting the Kennedys. So these are false promises. They're false statements about what is happening or what is going to happen. Okay. Um, let's go down to and the you next. you can't do that in business. No, you cannot. Uh, you end up at the end of the year with uh, either customers or employees or shareholders or whoever looking at you and going, wait a minute, you said this. You got me all excited and now you didn't deliver. Everybody here, if we have a good year, We'll get a raise next year. You'll hear about it that, at that at the end of the year, won't you, Joe? Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Um, politicians use vague pie-in-the-sky lingo without detailed plans. And that, too, will not work in business. Those MBAs that you hire are not going to settle for generalities. They're not going to settle for you saying to them, Joe, well— this wasn't a good year, but you know, next year is going to be. Or tell me how we're going to make this earnings go. Well, it's just there. Yes. Just there. Yes. I can see it. It's going to happen. It's, yeah. It get me all excited. And, uh, but, uh, where's the plan? That's a wonderful applause line if you're a candidate. Right. Any of those are good applause lines. A business person cannot get by on applause lines. Applause to a business person comes when there are results. I remember I made a mis I made a mistake um, years ago. Um, we were I was running a public company, and um, we went public at a price of about uh, fifteen, and the shares were up to about twenty five, and um, everybody was happy. And I came came across this line that was think big, think sixty, but. A lot of people questioned that, 
and I thought I was just trying to set a standard how to think, you know, think better, you know, just think big. But the problem was I didn't show a tangible plan on how to get from 25 to 60. And therefore, it for a lot of people, it went in one ear and out the other. The pie and the sky. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, you know, and, and they talk about, well, you know, dream big. But you got to be careful with that when you're dealing with people's lives. Make it tangible. Make it tangible. Um, six, politicians avoid... <laughs> accepting responsibility and blame boy that's one of the worst mistakes you can make as a business person is trying to just look at the other person and go hey it was him it doesn't last long does it no it doesn't and and thinking of how this has become so prevalent in politics it's even changed the language of politics nobody ever lied anymore hey joe I misspoke. <laughs> I guess I'll be in the dictionary one day soon. I misspoke. And it, it even, as I remember, it even blended over into Brian Williams' case with uh, what he was saying. What about, was that all about? Well, that was about him saying he had been someplace where he I know, but did he been. really believe all that? Or did he just think it wasn't going to come back to him? Or his, what? His explanation, he couldn't say that. Uh, I misspoke. So he said, guess what? I misremembered. Isn't that convenient? That's almost like what is the <laughs> definition of is is. Yes. Yes. Okay. Depends on. Except. Yes. You ain't William Jefferson Clinton. You're not going to get away with it. That man is. That man's good. Um, but um, the business leaders. Yes. Have to accept responsibility. They have to accept blame. And one of the. Classic cases locally, which winds up being internationally as well, would be Coca-Cola. When they tried the new Coke, darn it, I tried the new Coke. Thousands and millions of people tried it and didn't like it. Coke admitted we made a mistake. They went back to classic Coke. People all over the world were happy. And they admitted they made a mistake. Uh, They could have said, hey, it was just a marketing ploy. Could have said a lot of things, but they actually admitted we made a mistake. Or they could have said we've gotten a formula that's better for your health. No one would have believed that because <laughs> they knew Coca-Cola is bad for you anyway. <laughs> but um, And let's go to the, the last one, and we'll spend a little time on this. Is Politicians ignore time limits. How many times have we been watching one of the debates and I often say they're a great cure for insomnia. But if you're watching. I can't watch them. I'm sorry. <laughs> I want to throw stuff at the TV. Anyway, if you're watching. I want to say answer the question. <laughs> oh, that's. Or what about why didn't you say this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and as far as not answering the question, they're perfect at doing what we call a bridge answer. And Nixon mastered this. Mas- Nixon was such a master of if. Someone talked to him about, well, what's this Watergate thing? And he said, you know, that was a fine hotel and office complex. Really enjoyed Watergate. Great place to be. Dodging the question. Is that kind of like, oh, I don't know anything about uh, scrubbing. You mean wash the server? 
Yes, uh, that that's the, that's a contemporary version, right? But ignoring timelines, anytime, anyway, we get back and we see them on the debates, and somebody blows a whistle or taps a bell or whatever. How often do the candidates go on for a minute or two? To them, the world wants to hear them, and it wants to hear them, and it wants to hear them. Stop them, interrupt them. Why the heck should they stop? When there's a time limit. Now, a business person has learned there are time limits. Our attention span is very different. I would think, Joe, that 20 years or more in the corporate scene, you probably attended and maybe you sponsored a number of all-day training events or retreats. I gave one one time. It was awful. (laughs) (laughs) And in the professional communication training I've done, I've done a good number of all-day seminars and half-day seminars. Now, one hour, two hours, that's about the max that people want to hear. Interestingly enough, look at how that has changed in the videos that we will watch Maybe 10 years ago, if someone had sent you a 30-minute video, Joe, you will really enjoy this one. You would have watched it. Now, if it's over five to seven minutes, you probably won't watch it. Yeah, in fact, I've only taken um, video tutorials in earnest once, and that was relative to uh, mixing music. And um, I noticed that all those tutorials were about seven minutes long. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they did was they said, all right, we're going to talk about this for seven minutes, then we're going to move on to something else. So you could come and go as you as you pleased. I'm sure a good number of our listeners are familiar with political filibusters. Well, what's a filibuster? And I was even looking it up on online today for a definition. And the origin of it is long ago. In fact, I think it was 1831 that the term came about. And it came from a couple of foreign languages whose original meaning was robbery or pirateering. And so put into political terms, it meant you were robbing someone else of their time. And what the filibuster was designed to do was to have one person go on for hours and hours We've had it happen once. That's right. Recently. Yes. And when you filibuster, you either delay the vote or you run past the time that the vote could even be taken. All right. We're starting to run a little short on time, but I've got... Speaking of time limits. Yeah. I have a point here that I want to make, and I want you to either refute or tell me what's going on with it. But if there was a politician that followed... All of your points, one through seven, I'll submit that they probably wouldn't get elected. And what's up with that? Is Am I on? Is that true or no? Not only would they not get elected, they probably wouldn't get any funding to even get into the race. So what's up with that? How come that? How? Why is that? Is Have we been conditioned otherwise? We have been conditioned. We've become jaded. We've come to the point where we recognize that's a system, but who's fighting it? Uh, there's, a, there's a quip we've probably all heard. How, how can you tell if a politician is lying? He's moving his lips. He, he or she is moving lips. That's right. right. So it's become standard. It's become acceptable. Corruption in politics, as I 
I believe I'm correct on this. That the is it is it the last three governors of Illinois have gone to prison. Someone quipped that the governor of Illinois always makes sure that the prison system is in good shape, a nice place to stay because they might be there next. That's funny because the Florida prison uh, had what they call a Collier County wing. <laughs> Collier County is where I'm from, Naples, which is also where the Everglades, most of the Everglades are. And most of those folks, the fishermen down there, made a lot of money fishing for square grouper, i.e. bringing marijuana on shore. And they would get busted, and they just had a wing in the Florida State Prison up in Rayford called the Collier County Wing, and they just rolled them through. But every two years, one got out and another went in, just rolled it through. So, um, you know, kind kind of a similar situation. Well, let's think of this. I didn't know. And I don't know how many people did know until that crime in San Francisco. I didn't know we had what were called sanctuary cities. I had no idea. I had no idea. So if we're talking about a widespread lack of support for the law, and we've got cities, major cities, where they're sanctuaries, which are sanctuaries for lawbreakers. What does it say about the lack of high standards for any candidate, any government official? And thank God, I believe our business standards are stronger and more ethical than that. Yeah. And the and the um, you know, the good news is for big companies, for big companies, shareholders see through things pretty quickly and and CEOs come and go. And and for smaller companies, if you don't follow the principles that you espouse in points one through seven, uh, you'll soon be without a business. Um, so, uh, you know, the Darwinian factor will 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 grab you. So um, I think these things are. Why don't we recap here at the end um, real quick? Um, I'm going to read it from a positive here. Don't constantly change your positions on important issues. How about that? I like the positive approach. All right. Um, talk about how good your competition is, but how better you are than they are. Um, use facts that will stand up under investigation. Um, don't make promises that you can't, don't believe you can fulfill, even though they sound good. Um, let's see. Don't throw anything out there, then that's the lesson I learned, without showing folks how you're going to get there. Have a plan. Have a plan. Mm -hmm. Um, Accept responsibility and blame for making mistakes. It's okay. We're human. People want to know that they work for humans, not robots. And be cognizant of time limits because you – there's only a certain amount of time that I want to listen to somebody. That's just kind of in your brain. And secondly, um, maybe they got something else they want to do, and you told them 20 minutes, and you're taking 45. So um, good way to – these are good lessons for life, Bill. I'm glad you put them together. Good for politicians, good for business, and as you say, good for life as well. I applaud your your summary there, well, putting it putting it in the positive framework. I may have to do that and send it to my children. No. 
read it every day when I get up. Well, anyway, um, Bill, thank you so much for being on the show. Tell everybody how they can um, get a hold of you because you were a wealth of information. I appreciate that. Thank you. Website, championshipcommunication.com. Telephone number, 678-316-4300. Okay. And it's Dr. Bill at championshipcommunication.com. That's the email, yes. All right. Next time we have you on, we're going to talk about, uh, I want to I spend a little time on Hitler. Mm-hmm. Because he was pretty effective communicator and interestingly enough he sold people some weird stuff man yes i have studied him more than any other orator so i would love to do that okay it's been a great pleasure to be with you thank you well good thank you for being on and i'm sure we'll do this again i, okay. I look forward to that that is our show for today this has been on the money again the number one small business show on business radio x and with guests like dr bill here um, I think you can see why. Um, On the Money is presented by Embassy National Bank, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. We tweet from time to time on underscore the underscore money and then the number one. And then uh, you can listen to our shows anytime by visiting onthemoney.businessradiox.com. Very well organized website. And uh, our archives now go back... Um, 30 shows. Well, we've got a lot of shows out there, a lot of good, compelling information. And um, you can download us for free on iTunes. And the uh, what I really like is uh, you can go to uh, YouTube now and see the show because we have taped it as we have gone. And this, uh, you go to Business Radio X dash Gwinnett Studio channel and uh, you'll see um, uh, you'll see this episode. So until next time. This is Joe Moss with Embassy National Bank, and uh, to pick up on what uh, Roosevelt said, well, we'll say it a little bit differently, leave fear in the back seat, and um, what else do we say? Be careful out there, and um, just have a good week. Stay positive. Um, follow these seven points, and you'll do fine. So we'll see you next time. Thank you very much.